Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode eight of the Goal Line Podcast, where we focus on helping you become a better leader on and off the field. Today, I am joined by a very awesome guest. His name is Taylor Thames. He is the goalkeeping and assistant coach at Army West Point. So uh, brief background, like I always do, Taylor and I met a couple summers ago at a recruiting camp and when he was with Cincinnati, and we'll get to that. Um, but, you know, just met Taylor from there, struck up a relationship with him, and now he's at West Point, and he's been a great guide for myself as a goalkeeper coach as I, I try to grow. So, Taylor, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, Taylor's also the the owner and director of Next Goalkeeping Academy, which is his goalkeeping training business. But, um, so, we'll, we'll start in the beginning, Taylor. So, you played four years, was it four years at Delaware? I did, yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough to... Uh, be recruited by Delaware, played four years, and it was a little bit of a interesting uh, dynamic in, in the way that my career kind of ended, but um, was fortunate enough to start my freshman year and, and get those experiences early on and continue to progress and develop. And um, it was an amazing four years. Um, I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't well, trade it for anything. Absolutely. So starting your freshman year, what was that like? So, because I know... So, I mean, for myself, I started as a freshman, but obviously it wasn't, it was at the division three level. So, I mean, there's a little bit difference, I think, but, you know, at the division one level, starting as a freshman, how did you come in and kind of portray yourself as a leader? Or did you kind of just like sit back and let the the older guys kind of direct things or, you know, what were some of the challenges coming in as a freshman starter? Yeah. I mean, as a goalkeeper, that was definitely a, a big challenge that had to be taken head on. And um, I was really fortunate from a training standpoint that um, the summer before my freshman year, I had the chance to travel to, to Brazil and just outside of Sao Paulo and train for, I think I was there for about five to six weeks. And uh, that was an opportunity afforded to me by uh, my club coach. Um, he had some connections that, that allowed me to go down there. So shout out to Graham Ramsey, uh, a guy in the area that, um, you know, just a wealth of knowledge and had a huge impact on my career. But uh, down there, um, just got exposed to a different um, style that I hadn't seen previously and, and really immersed myself in that and just a work ethic and a, a, a kind of a, a gratitude for all the things that I had as well because of, you know, where I was and um, the, the environment I was in on a daily basis. So it was, it was fantastic. And that really kind of jump started uh, my career at Delaware because it provided me the opportunity to come in really sharp. Um, you know, kind of my eyes open and definitely, um, take that, take that, um, experience head on, you know, the challenges were that, uh, I was underdeveloped physically. Um, I was probably just under six foot and probably not even 165 pounds, if I'm honest. And, um, from a physical component, that was, that was definitely hard to deal with, but, um, I just came in with the same confidence that I knew I had to. Uh, portray and and worked into the group. And I think the connections that I formed with some of those older players allowed me to grow as a leader as well. I don't think on day one, I was prepared to lead the group. Um, but the the ability for me to continue to create create those connections with the, the players that I was on the field with throughout that season, I think definitely, uh, definitely helped. How did you kind of create that trust in your teammates because I, I know like or I can at least can imagine as a freshman you make a couple mistakes and then you know the older guys probably would, would start getting on you getting on you and get down on you and kind of wouldn't be necessarily bought into you so how did you as a freshman kind of earn their trust 
uh, as the as the keeper? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question. Um, I would think the the main way that I was able to gain their trust was just how I approach things on a daily basis. I think my preparation for training and and I've always been somebody who really enjoyed training. Um, I liked getting kind of down and dirty and and just going to work and and competing. Um, I think that's something that from a very early age I was taught to to compete and and win. And um, I always tried to win, you know, whether it was a sprint or soccer tennis or small sided games. And I think they respected that. Um, and then it also helps when you're performing in games. And early on, um, I had a couple, I think my first two starts, maybe my first three were, were shutouts and, and the team was playing well. Um, the guys in front of me were really, you know, helping me be successful. And, and it was a two-way street, you know, it was definitely um, us working towards a purpose of, you know, trying to, to win some games and put something together. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so I guess my next question, just staying on your, your playing career, did you have kind of any older mentors that kind of walked you through the college life? Like, I guess a senior would probably be the best case scenario of somebody who just kind of took you under and just made sure you are right. You know, your confidence was down. Cause I mean, I know for me when I was a freshman and sophomore, you know, I, I had the, the privilege to live with three seniors when I was a sophomore year and, you know, just living with those three, I know helped me kind of in my role as a team on the team and as a leader. So did you have anybody like that? And kind of, I guess, could we talk about the importance of having that team chemistry and relationship within, within each other to, to make for a stronger bond? Yeah. You know, I didn't have it from a goalkeeping perspective. Um, I had a, I was very fortunate to have a great um, volunteer goalkeeper coach. It would come on a very regular basis to work with us and was very invested in, in our development. Um, you know, from a goalkeeping standpoint, I came in with another freshman and then there was another sophomore. Um, the other freshman and I were the two that were playing back and forth a little bit that freshman year. Um, and then from a team standpoint, um, you know, I think that connectedness, that that relationship and trust is, is I won't say it's everything, but, but it's everything. Um, you know, the ability for you to continue to grow and develop off the field and in the locker room and, you know, on the road um, certainly provided me the comfort of knowing that, that they had my back and, and, you know, I think they, they felt the same. Um, so, you know, I, I think that there were older players on the team that definitely created that dynamic for me. Um, you know, senior captain who kind of took me under his wing, uh, to a certain extent. And then as the, as my career developed, you know, outside of that freshman year, as I go into my sophomore and junior year, the goalkeepers I became close with in the group, um, were, were basically my peers, um, were the guys that, you know, we had a transfer, um, come in from, um, I believe it was Louisville originally. And then, and then another one from ODU, um, and then a freshman come in from New York Rebels uh, Development Academy, and and all those guys, we we became very close and and pushed each other. And and going back to the competitive piece, that that was huge for my my development personally. Um, and I hope it was the same for theirs in, in the sense that we we worked off each other. Um, and I think you have to have that dynamic. We're gonna push each other, and um, ultimately the best is gonna is gonna play. And then you have to put the rest aside. Yeah, and I, I think that's so hard too, especially for as, as a in the goalkeeper position because it's one guy who you know plays nine. Well, one plays all the game, ninety percent of the games throughout the season. So you know to have those guys continuously push you, 
you know, it'll only make for that. Whoever is starting, I think can only make that starter better. I mean, I know for me, you know, my sophomore, junior and senior year, I had, you know, we had a backup of it, but they weren't really good and they weren't pushing me. So I, you know, I tend to think like if I had somebody who was, you know, as good as me, what would I have really reached my full potential? So I think, you know, from a coaching perspective, having two or three guys that could all compete for the starting spot just makes for a, a phenomenal training environment. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So you, so you finished your four years and then what, kind of were you thinking upon graduation? Was it, oh, I want to go into coaching, I know that, or was it something you just kind of fell into? Yeah, so I have to go back to the playing because it was a, a very interesting time at the University of Delaware. And um, uh, after my freshman year, there was a coaching change and that always you know, creates a different dynamic. But over the course of you know the, the recruiting process and everything else that was going on, between my junior year, spring and summer, to my senior year, um, there were some things that happened that uh, forced my the head coach to call me and over the summer actually tell me that basically I was going to be playing uh, on the field. Uh, so it, it wasn't. You're playing. He was moving you out of the goal. Yeah, 100%. And, and it was and nothing. Great, go ahead. No, that's awesome because at least, like, you know, we're talking about the modern day goalkeeper and how important working with your feet is and you know you're good enough to play at the divisional level in goal and on the field which is interesting but I think it's also you know a, a compliment of some sorts <laughs> yeah yeah no it was it was definitely one of those phone calls you kind of it was a little bit surreal and, and you get off the phone and you're like is this really happening are we are we doing this and you know I went into it a little bit skeptical um, not knowing how that year would unfold and and if it was a a way for maybe somebody to take my spot and, and a younger player to kind of emerge but um, the reality was that we needed a center back. Um, and so I ended up, um, I think, playing every game um, at center back my senior season. Um, wow. And I, I wish we would have won more games. I wish I could have been that guy to, to, to help them uh, maybe compete at a, a little bit higher level than, uh, than we did that year. Um, but, but it was definitely a huge turning point in, in my career because it gave me a different outlook uh, on the game and provided a different perspective. And, um, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, I, I knew I was probably going into coaching as it was. I think I would have had very limited opportunities to play. The USL was, uh, you know, a, an option, but a limited one. And, and I really didn't feel as if, um, I had the ability to be a mainstay at any program. Um, and it, it would have been a, a difficult journey. Um, and, and, Quite frankly, I think I knew just based on the way that I looked at the game and um, that, that I wanted to try and influence other players and help them go through the process that I went through because it wasn't easy, um, you know, from from my club career all the way through college. But, you know, somehow you make it through. And, and sometimes for me, it was the coaches and sometimes for me, it was the teammates that I had in the locker room. Um, but I definitely wanted to be a part of that process. So did, did you think about like you get the call? Did the coach offer you an opportunity to, to transfer in case like you just wanted to play goalie or like were you just let's go blue hens? I'm all in like I'm buying into what the coach is saying. Yeah. You know? No. Yeah. I mean, I just uh, I was always that guy. I mean, I was on the same club team basically my whole career. Um, and, and I, I really felt as if I was invested in, in Delaware and I wanted to do what I could for the team. You know, it, it came down to that. I wasn't going to uh, make any adjustments for myself. It was more about just putting the group first and saying, okay, let's just, uh, 
let's make this happen. Um, so you know. I think that's such a mature outlook of things too, especially at 21, 22 years old. <laughs> you know, I, I think that would be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of, a lot of guys who are used to, to being that starter and goal mm -hmm. and just to hear like, you know, you're not starting. I think, you know, so I really admire that about that outlook and just, you know, putting the team first and even, did, did you have a good relationship with the coach? You know, I did. Um, and, and I do to this day, just because obviously we're in the coaching world together and it's a, it's a small, small, small world as we know. But um, I, I think we did have our, there was, con there was tension at times and there was things that, that we had different outlooks on. Um, but ultimately I respected him and, and his decisions that he made as a coach. And, um, you know, for me, it was, um, again, more about the team. Um, I always came back to the guys that were in the locker room and, um, and, and wanting to do whatever I could to, to help the group because, um, you know, for me, it was all about winning games. It was all about playing and being on the field. Like I love the game. So however I could do that and influence that, I, you know, I was, I was ready to do it. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. What a story. What a story. So you finish up school and then your first coaching gig out once you graduate that was with the was it with odp in maryland well actually um i took the position at mount state mary's first um oh, in 2010 right. so it was about a year removed from my graduation um you know i, I got the opportunity there and uh, fantastic opportunity one of the mentors that you know i still talk to on a weekly basis uh, rob ryerson was a head coach there and he, he allowed me to do so much within the program and and, you know, it was one of those relationships that provided me the opportunity to learn, um, get my hands dirty and, and really um, have a lot of touch on different parts of the program. Um, I wasn't pigeonholed into one thing, being a young, brand new coach. It, you know, he he was very accepting of, of, of new ideas and um, we just had a really good relationship and it, it was pretty effortless right right away. So we knew it was it was good. So how did, so let's go back a second. So how did, how did kind of that, well, one, the phone call and then you playing center back your senior year, how did that kind of shape your, or did it help shape your perspective and outlook of coaching when you started at Mount St. Mary's? Um, yeah, I think, I think it did um, probably unconsciously though. You know, it wasn't something that I thought of at the time saying um, this, this could potentially be, um, you know, something that, that shapes my career or, or pushes me in the direction of coaching or even the way in which it happened. Um, and, and looking at it from that perspective, I don't think I was that aware, uh, of the situation to really connect those dots at that point. Um, for me getting the, the call to, to get back into the game, cause I had been kind of removed for that full year. Um, you know, it had been the longest time I'd been away from the game since I was like four or five years old. So right. um, for me, you know, I was dying to, to get back on the field. And um, from a coaching standpoint, you know, it, it was, you know, putting my foot to the fire kind of thing. Like I, I was not ready for that much responsibility, but I was never going to say no. Of course. So what kind of, what were some of your setbacks in your first year? How long you were at Mount St. Mary's for three years, four three years? years? Yeah. Three years. So how did you see yourself grow from year one to year three? before you left? Yeah. You know, um, certainly the, the first year, you know, you almost feel like a player, 
um, you, you feel as if you're you're one of the guys and you're you're in the locker room and um, you know I, I always you still have the chance to get back out there, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and I did. I played a right. lot, and I still try to play even now, but it's it's a little different, of course. But um, right. <laughs> you know, as as it as it pertains to that year one, um, you know, I'd go on away trips and, you know, I'm getting mistaken for one of the players, uh, quite frankly. And, and a couple guys on the team right. are older than me. Um, so, you know, you, you really do have to, to, um, kind of tote that line and, and make sure you're doing right. everything in a, in a professional manner. And, you know, I made, I made mistakes in, in regards to, you know, the conversations I was having, um, and you know, wh- whether it's just something on the field where I'm letting the emotion take over as I would a player versus a coach and not thinking logically about how I can deliver it and then hear me, um, and, and understand my viewpoint and the why behind what I'm saying, what I'm saying, excuse me. Um, so, you know, that, that was probably one thing, um, from a training perspective. Um, certainly my knowledge about how to train the players in a way that would provide them the best chance to play at hundred percent on the weekend. Um, I don't think I was, I was, um, I was there or, or had the right uh, amount of information to, to do that properly. Um, from a goalkeeping specific standpoint, um, you know, I, I think I, I overtrained my keepers. Um, and really at that point I was treating them all the same, you know, um, the number one certainly had a little bit more of a focus, but what I mean by treating them all the same is, you know, how I was talking to them, how we were interacting, um, what I would do for them during a training session or, or individually. Um, I don't think I was taking into account the person as much as I should have been. What, what do you mean by taking into account like the, like the different personalities of the, Correct. of the, each goalkeeper? Personality characteristics, um, you know, what they need from a training standpoint. Um, but definitely I think the biggest one is the personalities, you know, am I supposed to be, or, or should I be, um, you know, being very direct with this person to get the best out of them? Or should I try to find a way to be a little bit more indirect, um, in, in my right. approach as a coach? And, um, I, I think I was always as a young coach, very emotional and, and direct, um, and, you know, kind of bash you over the head where it could have been a little bit more, uh, finesse and a, a little bit more thoughtful. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's something, I mean, that that's the great part about being a coach is finally under or understanding how to work with each individual, because, mm-hmm. you know, the way that my coach yelled at me when I was playing cannot be the same way that I'm yelling at current players now, or not just saying not grouping everyone together, but you know what I'm saying? Just like right. a different, you know, everyone's different. And so some people respond really well to getting yelled at. And some people just respond to a conversation after practice and be like, everything. Okay. Like, what's going on? Let me, let me kind of pick your brain a little bit, but so you're, you're coaching at the division one level a year out of graduation. How did you come up with your practice sessions or did you kind of just learn everything on, on the fly? Were you, you know, asking people or, cause I know at least for my, myself, my first year out of coaching, I didn't really have a direction with my session plans. I was just like, okay, let me just work with the goalie, keep them fresh and ready to go. But I didn't really have a clear sense of direction. Yeah. So where did you come up with that? Yeah, you know, when I was training the team or training the goalkeepers, um, I think both you do what you know, right? And and for me, what I knew was what I did at Delaware. Um, it was the freshest in my mind. It was is what I felt comfortable with. So I did that. Um, and and again, you're so young into coaching, and you think you have enough information. But 
the reality was I wasn't asking why that worked in that environment and potentially why it wouldn't work in my environment that I was in then. Um, so that was something that I think um, reflecting on could have been uh, much more successful is, you know, asking the question of, okay, why did we do this activity with Delaware and why could I use it or why shouldn't I use it um, in my current environment at Mount St. Mary? So, um, you know, just replicating what I saw versus creating my, my own idea about what that, that training should look like or, or could look like from my perspective. So, right. yeah, it was just, um, you know, probably a really, um, the foundation was in the footwork and the technical capacity. That was, that was a huge onus, uh, for me because I didn't start really prioritizing the goal until about 14, 15. Um, you know, I was playing in the field and a multi-sport athlete kind of thing until that time. So when I started to prioritize that, I had to catch up a little bit from the technical side and, um, and the footwork. So that was something that, that I felt like I always had to do. Um, so that was something that was probably front and center with my training early on. Makes sense. So what were kind of, what were Rob's biggest core, I guess, well, let's, let's call them core values, but what, what was his coaching philosophy? Kind of like, what did you want all the kids to buy into you guys? And what was your message back to them? Yeah. Um, I mean, and a lot of people say it, but at Mount St. Mary's, it's such a small, uh, intimate campus, um, 1800 people within the school. And, you know, that, that locker room was, was definitely a family when I got there. And, and I felt like it, it was very much a family when we left. And, um, you know, that connectedness of the group and um, was something that I think Rob did a really good job making sure that everybody felt that there weren't any small groups or niches and everybody really held on to each other and, and, and had each other's backs. Um, I think the other thing that was really evident with just the way that Rob approached training was he wanted to make sure you were having fun. Um, he wanted to make sure that you were enjoying yourself and that you were there for a purpose. He felt as if you didn't have that, then you were going to be missing something. Um, you know, you don't want to come to training and resent training. You don't want to come to training and, and wait, you know, be looking at your watch to, to see when you're going to be leaving. Um, so that was definitely another aspect. And then I think the third, um, you know, from a cultural standpoint, but also from, from the soccer side is, you know, we wanted to be, um, you know, as successful as possible. We wanted to win games. We wanted to prove people wrong, so to speak. Um, and, and that was always a mentality we had at Mount St. Mary's was we're, we're the underdog. I mean, we're one of the smallest D1 schools in the country. Um, and when we go to these places, nobody expects anything from us. Um, so it was very much an underdog mentality. So those three things were pretty prevalent uh, in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, I think every... I think every team tries to build that family atmosphere and I was every team successful is, is a, you know, relative opinion, but um, you know, I'm glad that that's always number one, at least that 98% of schools is, you know, you want that sense of belonging, you want that family to, to have your back and to create that environment. So we leave, so you leave Mount St. Mary's after three years mm-hmm. and you go kind of complete 180 into a much bigger school at, right at Cincinnati. That was your second gig. Uh, in between, I had a, a, a stopover at Stony Brook University in Long Island, New York. Um, and yeah. when I was when I was there, um, you know, it served two purposes. Uh, unfortunately, Mount St. Mary's dropped their soccer program uh, for financial reasons in 2013. So that was, you know, a, a huge blow. Nobody saw it coming, and, and 
that was one of the hardest things we as a coaching staff had to do was tell the players, um, you know, and that was, that was really difficult conversation. Um, and then from that, um, looking at opportunities that I had, um, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, we, she's from Long Island. Her parents live about 20 minutes from Stony Brook and that opportunity, um, came up and I, I jumped at it. Um, and it ended up being an unbelievable experience as well. So what, so how did, were the pro, what were the programs similar and different at between Mount and, uh, Stony Brook? Yeah, very different, very different. I mean, Stony Brook, um, you know, very much, you know, your state school, um, it, it's located in Stony Brook, New York, just about an hour outside of, uh, New York city and, uh, big campus, um, you know, big sports program, you have all your major sports, uh, basketball, kind of the headliner, but football also very popular as well. And, um, you know, we were recruiting, um, I, I would say a, a little bit, I don't want to say a higher level athlete, but a, a different profile than, than what I was used to. And quite a few more international players as well. Um, not to say that we didn't have international players at Mount St. Mary's, but it was definitely a um, something that we we knew we had to to do to be uh, be as successful as we wanted to be in, in that program. And and they'd had a lot of success before I got there, and they've continued to have a lot of success um, in the America East Conference. So um, I think you know the the biggest difference for me was obviously a big program, public university, um, and then the expectations were were a little bit different as well. Right. So how did you come in from, so now in your, your year four and five, did you at any point have like some sort of, not epiphany, but kind of realization of who you are as a coach and like what you want to get out of your kids and what you want to portray as, as a person? Did you start to kind of get that or did that not come till, till after Sony Brook? Yeah, no, I, I, I would definitely line that up um, with, with, my development at Stony Brook. And I think part of that was the people I was surrounded with and, and the direction of that program. Um, Ryan Anatol is the head coach, Danny Meredith, the other assistant I worked with on a day-to-day basis in the office. And um, it was much more structure in regards to what we wanted to get out of a training session, the week, the month, um, the year. And there was a, a very clear vision that Ryan had put forward for that group. Um, and, um, much more accountability, um, with the support staff, with the players and knowing that those expectations were elevated a little bit. Um, so for me, when I started to understand exactly what our style of play was and and how we were going to attack, how we were going to defend, how we're going to, um, you know, set up our restarts and those things started to affect what I did from a goalkeeping standpoint. Cause I think you always have to go top down. Um, I think if you're going the other direction, then that's, that could be potentially a big problem because um, it's not going to line up exactly where you need to line up with the head coach and, and the program you're in. So for me, that was a big, that was a big moment where it's like, okay, I can't just do what I want to do and, and have myself over in the corner and then join the team. We have to integrate this, um, in a way that's going to be advantageous for the goalkeepers and for the field players and and the team collectively. Um, so there was a lot more conversations that, that happened, um, to, to design training and, and create that plan, uh, to prepare for opponents and, and, 
you know, and if it's in the spring, develop develop the team. So that was um, that was the biggest change, and certainly um, I had the opportunity while I was there as well. And this was another big big point um, to go out to New York Cosmos training once or twice a week, and uh, memo uh, Guillermo. Um, his last name is escaping me right now, but he's the goalkeeper coach for the New York Cosmos when um, uh, when I was out at Stony Brook and he was working with some top goalkeepers and I had the opportunity to be there on the field and just kind of pick his brain and watch what he did and he had a very South American um, approach and and uh, you know the characteristics. What, what were the biggest takeaways from that? Yeah. Biggest takeaway from that was part uh, partly what we're talking about in the style of play and understanding those things are connected because um, the team itself was a very possession oriented team that wanted to play pr- play through pressure at all costs. Um, the um, the head coach is now out at Portland Timbers uh, as the head coach there, but originally he was at, at Cosmos during this time and. You know, he, he would do games that would force the goalkeeper to play and let's say it's small sided, but it's 10 v 10 in not even half of the field. So the possession that you're, you're, you have in your own half is already dangerous if you give it away because of the proximity of the goal. Right. So what Memo was doing to prepare them for those interactions, you know, a lot of footwork, a lot of decision making um, and, and distribution in small areas. And so I started to connect those dots and that, that was probably the biggest thing. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting kind of way to look at it because I think a lot of times too. I mean, I at least I know when I was first coaching, I would have the goalkeepers for whatever thirty, forty-five an hour. But it, it would have nothing to do with the session that was going on. You know, it was just like here, the coach, like here you go, just take them, do whatever you want. And I would ask him what he was doing. You know, it was most of the time possession, whatever it may be. But you know, I never thought to try to bring everything together or even bring that up to him. So that's a, that's a really interesting way to look at it. And it kind of, it just forms a, a nice team environment, but I never asked you and kind of did playing center back at Delaware help you as a coach or has it helped you as a coach kind of from a, just see things from a different perspective type of thing? Yeah. You know, it, well, I think playing goalkeeper helped me play center back. I don't think I would have been able to play center back without the ability first of all to to sit back and analyze the game and see it from a you know that perspective because when you're in it um it's much harder to um you know stay a step ahead of the game and it's much harder to diagnose what's going on and, and to prevent breakdowns um but when you're sitting back as the goalkeeper you can see those things um and, and stay far enough removed that um you can communicate them and organize the group and so yeah when once that sped up that helped me as a coach start to identify things on the field that, that I used later on and certainly working with the, you know, the back line and, and potentially depending on your formation, the six or the double sixes. Um, certainly that, that unit uh, became really important to, you know, my development because it was the, where I extended my coaching to, you know, I started with the goalkeepers right. very early on in my career. And then I started working into the back line and um, you know, in defensive action. So, um, certainly I would, I would credit, um, playing defense, uh, center back to, to a lot of the things that I brought from a, uh, coaching standpoint outside of goalkeeping. Right. So now, okay. Sorry. So had to rewind a little bit. So now we're back at Sony Brook, you finish up your two years. So now what was the decision 
now I'm right about going to Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was, you know, um, we had a mutual friend, a buddy of mine that I had played with and competed, um, you know, for a starting spot on my club team. Um, he was coaching out in the Midwest, gave me a call. He said, Hey, um, uh, you know, I know of an opportunity. Would you be interested? And that was how the, the dialogue started. And, um, so I connected with the, the head coach, Hilton Days, who um, had been there at that point for about 15 years. Um, and prior to that at Wright State and um, a phenomenal you know, educator, teacher of the game and, and somebody that I respected and um, wanted to work with. And um, obviously, University of Cincinnati being a, a, you know, a former former Big East and now American Athletic Conference um, soccer program, you know, just another step. In the, in the right direction as far as, you know, continuing to work with top athletes and continue to um, develop as a coach because I was going to be provided more opportunities to do other things within the program also. So, you know, steps in the right direction for, for a lot of different reasons. And, um, you know, it was a little bit harder from a personal side to move away from Long Island um, because of the connections we had formed to my wife's family. And, but, you know, we made the move and, started our family in Cincinnati. So what now, as you're in your third division one coaching job, what have, what kind of similarities have you seen in each of the head coaches and what did you admire and kind of want to pull from? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Well, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is every single coach approaches their job, you know, in a way that, reflects their personality, but the two underlying factors that I saw with, with all of them were, you know, unbelievable passion for the game. Um, you know, I think that's what spurs us to get into this job in the first place. Uh, you know, we don't do this unless we love it and, and we love it every single day. Um, and I think the second would have to be um, probably – Ooh, man, that's hard. I'm trying to weigh two options at this point, but <laughs> it would have to be win games. You know, like when you're when you're a college soccer coach, you don't go into your job wanting to lose. You know, you you hate losing. And I think all three guys that I worked for wanted to win and and were doing everything in their power to have successful programs, win championships, and um, you know now their ideas about going up going about it were different and their approach to, you know, daily life in the office or on the training pitch, all those things were quite different from each coach. But um, certainly I think those two things are very consistent with, with the coaches I work for. Yeah. So I'm, I'm getting like a lot of kind of sense of communication down from top down. And I feel like these, these head guys are good at portraying their message, not only to the coaching staff, but to the whole team. So, you know, how, were, are, were there times in your coaching career where you, you kind of sense that communication is breaking down somewhere and it leads to losing games? And then when it's when communication is kind of crystal clear, it leads to winning games. Is that kind of like a – do those correlate, you think? Without a doubt. Um, I think that's a great way to put it. And um, a lot of times when there's you know breakdowns on the field or breakdowns in training or – um, even in a film session, it's because the the message isn't being conveyed in a way that allows it to be received properly. 
Um, and sometimes it's the wording. Sometimes it's how much information you're providing. It's when you're, you know, you're providing that information. So all of that has to be really well thought out and planned. Um, you know, so, you know, just to give you an example, if I was on the sideline at a game and I won't necessarily go into what program I was at, but if it got too emotional, if you got to a point where you started thinking with anything other than your head and you're not thinking logically, um, mistakes were made. And I think that's where you really had to, you know, take a step back and start to evaluate, um, you know, where you stand as a coach and how your interactions are going to affect the players and the people around you. Um, so I think, you know, that emotional response dictates the communication and, and, you know, some communication is verbal, some's nonverbal, right? We know that. Um, so as a coach, sometimes when you're losing it on the sideline, they, they might not know why. And that could definitely seep into the way that they're playing and the confidence they have and, um, and inherently potentially lose a game. Right. So I'm going to stick with the communication theme. So how is it difficult? You think like when you're, when you guys are choosing captains, essentially you want the the captains to kind of be an extension of the coaching staff in a sense, right. With communication. So how do you trust in these captains to kind of relay your message to the team to get them to buy in from, from you? So it's like, you know, the top down communication, we're going from the coaching staff to the captains, to the team. Um, you know, how can you get that buy-in from the captains into your message? Yeah, I think having having the right person in that position is, is everything. Um, you know, knowing that that person will have your back as a coach and, and them knowing that you have theirs, that, that two-way street that I talked about a little bit earlier was um, is, is so critical, so critical. Um, you know, to have guys that come down to the office because they just want to tell you about their day, you know, to have right. guys that feel comfortable enough to tell you when they're having a hard time or they need you to, you know, back them up with something. Um, those are, those are the people that you need leading your group and, and being an extension of the coaching staff, as you said, because you need that, you know, your eyes and ears aren't in the locker room. You don't know what's going on uh, at all hours. And, and especially in the times when the team is you know, creating those bonds and, um, you know, forming relationships away from, away from the staff, which you want them to do. They have to do. Um, but you need somebody to make sure that the, the team's protected and um, they're getting the right message and they understand the, the why behind everything you're doing. Um, I think that's a huge component. If they don't understand why, a lot of times you won't get that buy-in. And right. you know, I, even at, I, I take it a step further with our guys at the beginning of the season this year at, at West Point, just skipping ahead. Um, yeah. I um, – you know, we, we talked about buy-in and I said, you know what, I'm done with buy-in, you know, I'm done with buy-in. I, I want investment. You know, I want something more. Love it. Um, Love and, it. and so we talked about that pretty extensively because, you know, anybody can buy in, you know, you don't have to actually um, really invest if you just have the chips to throw on the table, you know, and it's just like, let's do more than that. Um, let's and, and and so those people that, that are able to do that for you and the most successful years I've had as a coach, we've had the right captain or captains or leadership group. Um, and, and for for each program, it's going to be different. I can't, you know, I can't tell anybody how, how to run that. And, and it's going to be specific to their situation. But, 
you know, there's times where you're not going to have that one person and it's, it's not going to fall solely on their shoulders. There's going to be multiple people or there's going to be a group. And, um, and that might be the best way to influence uh, more players in the team. Yeah. And I think, by the way, you kind of just shifted my whole coaching perspective from buy-in to now investment, because I, I love that. You know, I think when we talk investment, we're talking long-term mm-hmm. just because, you know, when most people think of investment, I th- I'm sure you're thinking of a stock market and a stock and, yep. you know, to get your returns, it's going to be sh- longer rather than shorter. And that buy-in again, like you mentioned, it's just, it's short-term. It's like, well, let's win now, which is great. But, you know, I think the investment, once you get the the investment from the team, now that I'm thinking about it, it, it creates more of a family atmosphere too, because now everyone's invested in each other. And then in the program beyond just the one, two, three or four years that they're there. So thank you for that. Cause that, that's awesome. And I love that. I love that piece you mentioned. Yeah. And, the, and the, what you added at the end is, is critical too. I think that's huge is it, it's investment in each other and for unselfish reasons. Um, it can't be because they want to be an all American or all region player, all state, whatever it is, they, they have to do it for, you know, the, for the person um, and, and for the people in the locker room. And that's when you really get to that next level. That's when you really feel something special is happening because yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you, no, know, you know, when, when you're recruiting and um, even right now we feel really good, we feel amazing about our, um, uh, our recruiting class. And, and we know that they have a huge ceiling and a ton of potential to help the team that we've already, already put in place. But when you go backwards, you're like, yeah, the reason if I'm looking back, you know, to the beginning of my career and all those recruiting classes that have come through, the reason they don't reach that potential sometimes ends up being those relationships. So, you know, early on, my, on in my career, when I'm talking about me not investing enough in the player or me not um, providing them what they needed from a communication standpoint, now it's like, okay, how can we control that a little bit better as coaches to make sure we do get what we need out of them? Um, and have a little bit more um, consistency in, in in the people that are within the program because we know, you know it can be ranked a top whatever recruiting class in the country, but those guys have to they have to love each other. They have to want to work together. They have to see that um, moving in, in one direction is going to be better than moving in all different directions. Absolutely. So now at West Point, is it – I don't want to say easier because it's not easy, but like working with most, most young athletes or could be entering the army once they graduate and, you know, just being in that army has the, the no man left behind kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is that kind of, is this investment picture easier for them to, to understand? Like if you're thinking back to all the other places you coach, I think it is to a certain extent easier to draw correlations to things that are, that are being talked about in their everyday life. Because as right. a student athlete at Army West Point, um, there are things that are going to be asked of you on a daily basis from an academic perspective um, that, that force you to do those things. Um, you know, just one example, we have a tutoring program. We have almost, I think, 500 tutors that are students. And we only have 4,400 people on campus and they do not get paid. So, I mean, just putting that in perspective, they are already invested in each other, but now at the soccer, you know, component, when you start removing that from the student body as a whole, can you then 
put yourself in enough baskets and extend yourself enough to have that same influence over the team that we're, we're creating. Uh, because the, the cornerstone of our program is excellence. And we talk about it every single day, but it's not excellence just in soccer. It's an excellence in everything they do because they know um, that that is, you know, a, a cornerstone of, you know, the education they receiving and the experiences they're going to have post-graduation and, and everything else. So um, certainly that. What, yeah. So what are the steps to kind of, are you guiding them on to achieve that excellence? Yeah. It, you know, the, the best way to answer that is they, they already have a, a huge capacity um, whether it's, from a, a work ethic or, you know, their academic uh, background or, you know, each person's a little bit different. I'm not saying that every single player that comes into our program is ready to lead or ready to commit to, you know, four years of military service. That's not the case, but these, right. these individuals do understand um, that at West Point, they can get more from themselves and become who they want to be um, through, all the experiences they're going to have over that four year period. So I think the way that we help with that is continuing to provide frameworks to allow them to keep extending themselves. Like we ask just as much from a soccer standpoint, if not more than any other program in the country, while they're still also being asked to do almost more again than any university in the country as far as an academic perspective. I mean, right. these guys take 22 credits a semester and, um, and are guys that, you know, are in classrooms where they can't hide, you know, there's 15 to 18 right. people in every single class at West Point. So, you know, your bio class that, you know, you, I, I was used to at university of Delaware, 300 people that doesn't exist. You can't hide. So, um, I think that's part of the mentality we have. You're not going to hide in our program. We're not going to let you, and uh, you're going to show up every day and, and do the things that are required. I love it. Yeah. So do you guys, as a, as a coaching staff, when I say you guys, as a coaching staff, are your kind of philosophies and values the same as the universities and, and, and I guess the army, or is it your own that fit with the pro or that fit with the university? I'd go ladder. I'd go the ladder for sure. Um, I think we, we definitely understand and value um, the purpose and the mission statement behind Army West Point. Um, we are recruiting players to come to West Point to play soccer, but ultimately if they graduate, um, they're, they're expected to be excellent officers within the military to serve their commitment. And then post you know, that five-year period, then they make decisions on, you know, are they going to go into a business of their own? Are they going to become a CEO or um, what do they want to do um, post-Army? But certainly we do, um, you know, provide that context uh, to them that these are experiences you have to understand are a part of your journey. Um, you, you don't have to, by any means, you know, uh, I'll start and I'll go a different direction. When we recruit student athletes, it is something we, we discuss with them in detail. Um, but not many student athletes that we initially reach out to already had it in their mind. Yes, I, I want to go to a military academy. There are those that you know, are legacies or have already decided that they want to serve. But right. the, the majority 
um, I would say even close to 90% of the players we speak with didn't originally consider Army West Point until they understood what it was actually about and what the mission was. Wow, that's incredible. Does that make it an easy sell or a tough sell? I, I think sometimes sometimes tough yeah, at the, sometimes tough at the beginning um, right. in regards to breaking down those barriers because not everybody's open to dialogue and, and having that discussion. But once you start the discussion and we get them on campus and they're able to see what we can offer from a financial perspective, from an academic perspective, from a soccer and an athletic perspective, um, I, I truly believe it's one of the most special places in the country. Um, we, we, a couple of years ago, we were ranked number one athletic facilities in, in the, wow. in the country. And I would venture to say that not many people know that. Um, but right. you know, the fact that I'm lucky enough to have three training pitches that are, that are grass surfaces, um, and, and one indoor, um, you know, artificial surface is pretty special at a place like West Point. That is awesome. That is awesome. So one last question I'll ask you before we get going, what are your, I guess, core values as a, as a person, as a coach and kind of what's your just individual value standpoint and kind of what do you want your goalkeepers and your players to get from you? Like when they say coach, coach Taylor, it, you know, kind of define this. Yeah. I hope the first one is that I'm invested. You know, I, I hope they understand that I'm there for them. Um, you know, I want to put everything into the team, into them and, and their development. And I want to help them become great young men. You know, that's why I came to West Point is because I felt like the purpose superseded everything else that I had done up until this point because of all the other things that, um, you know, kind of attached itself to the soccer. Um, and I think the other one is that, that I'm, I'm passionate uh, about the game, about teaching young players, um, and that you know I'm competitive. I, I definitely want to win. Um, my my wife won't my wife won't play board games with me. Um, you know, <laughs> my son doesn't doesn't necessarily want to play uh, play soccer at this point, so I have to win, let him win a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's just it, it's in it's in who I am. Um, and then the final thing is that, um, you know. I think that I'm there for them um, in a service capacity. And that was something I was taught pretty early on. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to a, a high school that um, the, the motto is meant for others. So, you know, you go on from that and in, in understanding that you're actually here to serve people. And when you do that, you get the best out of it. Um, and so, you know, I hope that, I hope that sticks with them and, and, you know, ultimately, um, you know, hope, hopefully they see past uh, some of the other more uh, um, in, in your face moments, they call it, right? Right. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. Well, Taylor, this has been awesome. Um, I'm just going to personally say thank you, one, for coming on, two, for giving me more insight and now actually helping me shape kind of the way I frame things when I coach. So thank you. But again, thank you for coming on. This was awesome. Um, best of luck to you next season at West Point. Appreciate it, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Thank you. See you soon.